0: Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Hi, I'm Andrew Carr
1: and I'm a sitcom writer. To get the gig often is to jump. Sounds strange, but really everything that I've done that has been successful is basically just taking a leap, taking a huge risk,
0: stepping out of your comfort zone and and, and willing to accept the consequences if you fail. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? It really is a huge collateral process, and you have to completely
1: take ego out of the picture. You have to really be a team player, and you have to accept the fact that some days your work is gonna be the bottom of the barrel, and everybody else is gonna be shredding your script apart and putting it back together to make it better, and it's always gonna make it better, and you have to
0: let that part of it go. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis. Not joining me this time is our co-host, Fred Keating. Fred and I are both at the Banff World Media Festival. Fred's not in the room with me right now because he's out and about gathering some other interviews. Well, I'm here with Andrew Carr. Andrew Carr is a famous Canadian sitcom writer. He's worked on projects such as Corner Gas, which has been a mainstay of the Canadian television scene for years, very highly critically acclaimed. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Andrew, tell us about your career as a writer.
1: I was a comedian for many, many years, so I did a lot of previous writing humor-wise, honing my craft as a comedian. So that initially started around 1987 and developed until uh, 2004 when I initially started writing for Corner Gas, which came in the brand of scripts for the show. I performed from 1987 doing Amateur Nights. I actually started out uh, working together with Brent Butt. As an average comedian, we both started up in comedy together. So I had been writing and performing for years and years up until probably the mid-2008, somewhere in there, when I kind of hung up the jokes as far as that goes. So What did you learn from your time on the stage? To really have, a, I guess, a thick skin about what I was doing as well as to uh, do what I wanted to do and let the audience decide whether they liked it or not or whether they enjoyed it or not. Of course, doing what I wanted to do many times meant getting the response that I needed, which was laughter. So if I was doing what I wanted to do and they were laughing,
0: I felt like I was on the right track. How did you feel about having that instant feedback being up there on stage?
1: I think that's probably why I got into stand-up comedy, was because uh, it was instantly gratifying. There there were many instant things about stand-up comedy, the initial one obviously being instant gratification. There was instant recognition. I, I had felt that anything I had done previously to that there wasn't that instant gratification. There wasn't that thank you or reward for what I was doing. I felt I was schlepping through life, just, you know, making some money and and living. And so initially stepping up on stage, telling a joke, there was recognition, gratification. There's also the financial aspect of it, which normally came immediately after the show as well. So, you know, everything happened immediately. And I, I think I needed that as a performer or as a human being, you know, to to get that instant feedback. And uh, it kept me going.
0: Now, tell me about your transition into being a television writer. How did that work from a career perspective?
1: I had been performing since, I, I would consider myself performing professionally since 1988. And so, 88 and 98. So, I was hitting around uh, the year 2000, a dozen years in comedy. And, and uh, I was just uh, starting to I guess, lose, it was starting to lose the passion. When I initially started, I was very young. I was very hungry, very goal-oriented in the sense of you start out as an amateur, you want to build towards being a headliner. So you write material, you build an ad to your show until you get to the time needed to do that. And then there's the challenge after that of winning over audiences that might be challenging or creating new material that's, that's inspiring. And at one point, I had gotten to settling down, getting married and having kids. And uh, career-wise... Uh, that became more of a challenge because I started doing shows not because I wanted to do them career-wise, but now it became a job. I had to take a show because I needed to pay bills, et etc., and I had to work for my family. So a lot of times I was doing shows that weren't as inspiring and as exciting. I guess I stopped writing material, or less material. I would still write material, but I wasn't really hungry as I was when I was younger. And so I was looking for something that also was a little bit more lucrative since I was a family man, and uh, as well something that would Keep me fresh, keep me writing new stuff, being creative. And so at the tail end around 2000, late 90s, I wrote some spec scripts for sitcoms to test myself just to see if I could do that. And then I Passed them around to a lot of friends of mine who are comedians just to say, hey, what do you think? Look what I wrote and get some feedback from them. And uh, that kind of initiated the onset of writing. So when uh, a friend of mine, Brent Butt, who is a comedian as well, got his show, we had a relationship previous to this already. We both grew up in the same area. We were both sort of tailored to the type of show he was writing. So I knew the type of show he was writing. I lived that life. He had read my scripts as well. So I kind of laid that foundation and he just asked me to be on the show and I jumped at it. You know, it was television, it was lucrative, and, you know, it was an opportunity. So the two of you wrote Corner Gas together. It appeared on CTV for how many years? 107 episodes. I can give you 107 episodes. I know that, definitely. Uh, I believe season six was, was the final season, yes, so six Six seasons. And I was one of many writers. There was uh, at length, I think, six writers when it was at its at its peak. The first season I wrote uh, two episodes freelance. I was not in the story room writing with the writers. And so I was brought in second season full on in the writer's room as production was going on and, and writing. And I believe second season was 19 episodes that I carried on from there.
0: Now, what did you learn as far as what it takes to get the gig and what it takes to keep it?
1: To get the gig often is to jump. Sounds strange, but really everything that I've done that has been successful is basically just taking a leap taking a huge risk stepping out of your comfort zone and 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 willing to accept the consequences if you fail and i guess that's always been the thing that's kept me going is thinking okay if this goes sideways what am i losing what what really is going to happen should this not work should this not work they're going to go i'm sorry you know this gig isn't for you and you. Shake hands and walk away. So I'm not losing face. I'm not losing a lot. So why not give it a shot? So that was kind of me going into it, and also just accepting the fact that when you're in, just swim as hard as you can, stay above water, and, and learn as much as you can, and work hard to do it. It was one of those things. I came in. I wasn't a sitcom writer. I was coming to a room of writers. A lot of them had varying degrees of experience, but a lot more than I did. So the learning curve was huge, and uh, it was one of those things where I had to jump in and, and do it. You know, and I had to learn by the seat of my pants. I was very. Fortunate at that point, Brent was a very talented comedian and had been writing for a while. Mark Farrell and um, Paul Mather and Kevin White were more seasoned writers than I was. They were very gracious and I had learned a ton from them and I probably wouldn't have had that opportunity. And what an amazing opportunity to have to start writing and be on a show that's incredibly successful in Canada and runs for six seasons. Now, you mentioned that it was incredibly successful. Tell me about the accolades. The greatest accolade was the fact that, I mean, the challenge previous to that in Canada was to get a sitcom on the air at all, Canadian-wise. A lot of uh, material, is uh, comedy material shows are, are bought by the networks that are American. There wasn't a lot going on Canadian-wise in the sitcom area. And so when Brent's show came about, it was one that uh, reached critical acclaim immediately. The first season they were shocked. Ratings-wise, you know, a show that gets 500,000 people in Canada is a success. And their first episode was 1.25 million, which is unheard of at that time and continued show after show to be one million plus. Uh, I think for the duration of the six seasons, I think it was... 1 million plus. And so this fan base embraced the show. There were awards that were given out. There were, there was uh, WGC writing awards. Uh, there was a uh, Canadian awards. Uh, there was Leo awards uh, as, as well. But I think the, I mean, the greatest reward of all of that, you know, anytime we were up for an award and nobody won, it was the fact that we had a fan base that didn't, didn't care about awards. You know, just the idea that you had a fan base that supported your show and yeah. loved your
0: show was enough really to keep you going. Absolutely. Now back to the production process, what did you learn as a writer? Writer about what the directors and what the producers want.
1: Interestingly enough, with Corner Gas, Brent being the creator of the show and having... Uh, I mean, when he negotiated his deal, his strength was basically that he needed to have creative control over the comedy. So it's not what everyone else wanted. It's what Brent offered up. and. His talent offered him the opportunity for him to just say, look, if this isn't working, let's shake hands and walk away because he had built a brand and a name for himself that if it failed, it would reflect badly on his career as a comedian. So he said, I need this to be comedically as in tune with what I do as possible. So I need creative control comedy-wise. So it wasn't so much what the directors and producers were looking for as what he was offering them to take, which is a wonderful thing because he really enjoyed the idea of being creative and not having to worry too much. I mean, obviously the network has concerns about what you're doing and, and they will give you notes and, and suggestions and, and et cetera. And, you know, we, we never really strayed from their parameters of what they needed anyways. So
0: it wasn't what everyone was wanting. It's what we were offering up so I guess as writers you really needed to have an instinct for what the audience wanted to hear what the audience would think was funny, and you really nailed that because you got viewership that was really unprecedented in Canada. And from
1: the onset, when I came into the room, Brent and the other writers made it a mandate that we're going for the jokes. You know, We aren't looking for the charming, lovable, kind of blossom moments that you get, you know, boy, I learned my lesson, or, or et cetera, et cetera. As a matter of fact, we tried to spin that into, you know, boy, I learned my lesson and then something else would happen that would, you know, take that lesson or, or kneecap it. So we were always looking for the joke. We were always really trying to find the humor in any way we can, and, and usually in a place that if we were going down this road, we want them to think, oh, they're going down this road, and then spin it and go, no, we're not going down this road. Or if we're going down this road, we're going to take a twist to it that you hadn't seen before.
0: Now, you used the word lesson. What lesson do you think you've learned about what it takes to be a successful writer in television?
1: To my detriment, the first year that I came in, and I think this stems from the stand-up comedy background, I had a preciousness towards jokes, because jokes are, really, when you're doing stand-up, if you have a good joke, that's a very precious thing. And then what I had to learn when I came in was that there's another joke around the corner. So, you know, when you're writing a a scene or something and you've got a great joke in it, and the head writer and and the showrunner to go uh nah, you know that seems not working we're gonna have to change it we're gonna have to take that out I was as a rookie writer very precious and I was not a good team player in that sense that's the first thing I learned after first season was boy I really got to let this stuff go because these season writers know and I was coming in you know, green and blind and, and not understanding that. Now I've come to realize that um, over my career that uh, it really is a huge collateral process and you have to completely take ego out of the picture. You have to really be a team player and you have to accept the fact that some days your work is going to be the bottom of the barrel and everybody else is going to be shredding your script apart and putting it back together to make it better and it's always going to make it better and you have to let that part of it go. And accept that. And every if every writer does that in a room, because what you need is you need that vibe, that energy in a room where you can pitch the worst idea in the world. Everybody's going to laugh at you and go, that was the worst idea in the world. And you're going to go, yeah. And you keep swinging and you keep going. And there's no offense. There's no ego. There's nobody looking to be better than anyone else or to preserve their job. They're there basically solely to get the idea of the showrunner and the show across as best they can and work as hard as they
0: can. Yeah, as Fred and I like to say, and you pretty much said it as well, production is a team sport.
1: Yeah, and I've been on I've been on both sides. I've been on some bad productions and I've been on some really good productions. And the productions that are bad are usually dealing with writers who are only looking out for themselves or only contributing to level up themselves better or you just don't feel comfortable in the room like you're not sure you can say something or, or or pitch an idea and and not have it come back to you in some way and i've been on on uh shows where uh, as a matter of fact one of the shows i worked on with brent in production uh was supervising producer and so when we finished the wrap party of the first season i was approached by somebody in production who basically said this was probably the most fun i've had on a season of a show and they said you guys are bringing to this a very level-headed relaxed approach where you don't feel vulnerable or you don't feel that if you do something wrong your job is at stake etc you know and that you're not going to pass the blame that's the other thing by the way take responsibility for your decisions and so if i screw up i'm going to turn around and go it's my fault not their fault i'm going to own this and i apologize you know if i've messed with your production you know if i'm in props and i go i oh crap you know oh, I made a mistake, I want this 14 inches, not 12 inches. I screwed up, it's on me, I apologize. So that, you know, props guys understand that and that, you know, you're not creating a divisiveness in your group within your production.
0: I guess in part, it's a matter of having respect for everybody on the team, because if you've screwed up, well, everybody knows you screwed up, so you really should fess up to it. Absolutely, and
1: another learning—that was another learning lesson along the line—is to relinquish some control creatively. I remember in the in the first season of uh, my first supervising producer position in the first season, I was making a lot of decisions that were based on my personal whatever information I had on. So I was making wardrobe decisions, I was making prop decisions, location decisions, etc., without even acknowledging the people that were in wardrobe, et etc and i realized what you know these people are brought here and are doing a job because they're creative and they're and, and they're you know so why am i making their decisions so when they would bring me something where i would have a final decision i would say what is your choice in this and tell me why and they would give their creative input we'd have a conversation where i'd go well i i feel that this is important. What do you think about that? And then we would come to a negotiation and come to an agreement on making a decision to move forward from there. So at any point, anybody who was in, you know, editing, in wardrobe, in props, et cetera, I'd go, what do you think? You know, and they go, well, we like this. And I go, well, I worry about this because that might be too big or broad as a joke. And they go, hmm, I see what you're saying. Okay. And then we move forward from there, but they get input. They feel like they're they're valued as, as part of the team that's moving forward. And I think, Anybody who's in that position has to allow that to happen, because honestly, in production of a show or, or a movie or anything, really, you have upteen amounts of creative minds that are all offering up something, and at the same time, probably going to have to take a bit back, because they offer their creative aspect to it, and it might be rejected or partly accepted. And so all these creative people are coming together to create one one entity you know, and how that happens sometimes baffles me that it even gets made,
0: you know. Great thoughts. Andrew, the mentor. Any final thoughts before we wrap up?
1: I guess the only thing I could say to anyone who's going to embark on the position of a writer or any position that they're thinking of doing is, is to just do it, just leap, just do it and not to be afraid of failure. Uh, take stock on what is actually going to be the biggest problem. What happens if you fail? And you're going to realize not a lot happens that's going to really be detrimental. And so
0: just leap, just go for it and do it. But you have to take action to do that. Well said. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings you can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show and hey be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity